Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. So if you haven't met me, my name's Matt Woodley, and I'm on staff at Church of the Resurrection. I'm a deacon there, and I am Father Trevor's father-in-law, which means Bonnie is my daughter. Um, And it is great to be here. And just so you guys know how much I love you, um, I got up at 3 a.m. this morning to take a flight from Minneapolis to be here. So I was, yeah, so thank you. so uh, Father Trevor was trying to find a time for me to preach here, and you know, he's a very hard man to say no to. So uh, this was like my only Sunday free. This is actually like Bishop Stewart said, well, just take a vacation day because you're at your mom's birthday, so don't come back on Sunday. So somehow Trevor got me to come back at 5 a.m. to preach here, but I'm really glad to be here. This is awesome. So, um, so I've been traveling a lot this fall, so I came back um, one time, and I had this... Uh, little green thing on my doorknob. Have you ever had this in the city of Aurora? It's ordinance. It's an ordinance violation. City of Aurora, Illinois, Division of Property Standards, inspected on 10-5-17, pursuant to city code chapter 20-4. It is not permitted to place garbage, recyclables, or garbage containers on the public right away before 7 p.m. the day prior to your assigned day of pickup. So I put it out there a little too early and um, so this was inspected, and I was issued this warning citation, and it is uh, Inspector 528 signed it. So I don't know if you know Inspector 528. Um, yeah, I would love to meet Inspector 528. I was thinking of like Russell Crowe and Les Mis, do not forget my name, Inspector 528. And um, so anyway, I, I, and I was thinking about this, and I was like, oh, come on, give me a break. You really got to have little citations like this, and then I started to think about it, and I thought, you know, this is, I think, I think uh, city code chapter 20 verse, or dash four is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, if like everybody just left their blue bins out all week long, this city would descend into like utter chaos, right? I mean, it'd be uh, ugly, there'd be eyesores. I mean, somebody's got to be in charge. Because it's left to me, I, I'd leave it out there all week sometimes. I wouldn't bring it back. And so, so we need a code to do this, to bring things back. And I was thinking about this in this passage. This, is, this city code 20-4 is just one example of hundreds of examples of how government affects our lives, right? Um, I'm going to use the words government, Caesar, and the state, all sort of a synonyms. By the state, I don't mean just the state of Illinois. I mean the state as in any governing authorities over us. So every time you see a speed limit sign, every time you see a police car, every time you get to the D, go to the DMV to get your license tabs or to get your registration updated, every time you pay taxes, Every time you watch something on the news about a politician or something that's going on in our political scene, every time you think about immigration policy, anytime you think about foreign policy, this affects you, your family, people that you care about, and people that you don't even know. It's 
the reach of government is like something we live with every single day of our lives. So there's not a day that goes by when we don't have an Inspector 528 kind of experience where the government, the state, Caesar reaches into our lives. And sometimes we welcome that and sometimes we resent that. So here's the amazing thing. Jesus wants to help us deal with that. You know, the Bible is a holistic view of life. It's not just like a compartment. Like here we have the the spiritual stuff. And that's where Jesus is Lord of our lives and that's where he speaks. And then over here we have secular stuff like government or our jobs or whatever. It's a holistic view of the world and our lives. There is no sacred, secular divide. Christ wants to be Lord of all and to penetrate all those areas of our life. So how do we deal with this? Well, Jesus is going to give us one of his really famous and most and shortest sayings. Unfortunately, I can't be as succinct as he was in this passage. But he's going to give us a little outline for not only how to deal with government, but also how to deal with him, how to deal with Jesus. So this passage somehow starts with government and Inspector 528 and all that kind of stuff, and it ends up talking about Jesus. So that's where we're going to get to. Now this little passage that you heard read in our gospel reading, it appears in three gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the broader context is really important. So Jesus is Moving towards the cross, he's increasingly getting into opposition with the religious leaders of his day, and it's getting pretty tense, and there's a whole series of stories, boom, 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 and you guys, have, I think, have been walking through some of these where Jesus' authority is questioned. So Jesus comes into town, and basically, the religious leaders, the people that are in charge are basically saying, hey, who are you? You come in here, you didn't come through our channels. You didn't come through our power structures, and you walk in here, and you act like you own this whole town, religiously speaking. So who do you think you are? And they're getting increasingly irritated with this punk that comes from nowhere and seems to be the new sheriff in town. And so they are headed towards a showdown. So in verse, so that, that's really important to get that context, because we'll get back to that at the end, because this whole context is, what is Jesus' authority in the world and in our lives, and where does that come from, and how do we respond to that? So it begins at verse 15, and I'm using a version of the Bible called the ESV. It's a little different what was read there, but it, it says here that the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, verse 15. So they are plotting. They want to take Jesus down. So think of a bunch of guys in some office suite somewhere with a whiteboard drawing up and brainstorming possibilities of how to take Jesus down. So here they are, you know, they're drawing up a play up on the board. So, nah, that won't work. Let's try something else. No, no, no. How about this one? Yeah, that'll work. Let's do that. So they're plotting and they come up with this play that I call the Jesus double whammy Sammy, okay? So they're going to slam in from two ends of the political spectrum. So verse 16, it says, and they, that's the Pharisees, sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully 
And do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. So basically what they're going to do is they're going to put Jesus into a trap and try to entangle him. So they want him to answer this question so that he'll get in trouble. So a little bit of background. First of all, imagine, if you can, that this is hard for us as Americans because it's been a while since we've been under a foreign power. But imagine we lost World War II. Imagine we're living in Amazon's TV show, High Castle, and we are now being ruled over by Nazi Germany. That would be very unpleasant. And on top of that, you hate this government, and now you also have to pay taxes to them. They're bleeding you with their taxes. So you hate them. So what are you going to do? Are you going to pay the tax or not? Well, that was the question that was raging in Jesus' day, and that's where all this tension comes from in this passage. So on the political left, you have the zealots. And the zealots were uber-progressives. They were revolutionaries. They were, no way are we going to pay the tax. Over our dead bodies are we going to pay the tax. We are starting a resistance movement against the reigning government. And then on the political right... You had the Herodians, and the Herodians were sort of like, you know, we don't like it, but you can't fight City Hall, so just live with it, deal with it. They were basically the uber-conservatives. So Jesus, so the trap is to get Jesus to somehow alienate a large segment of people so his popularity goes down so they can start attacking his credibility. So they ask him a simple question in verse 17. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They are asking him for an authoritative opinion as a rabbi, as this sort of guy that claims to have authority. Give us your authoritative opinion. And they're asking him a yes or no question. So if he says, yes, it is law, it's, it, you should pay the tax, he's going to alienate the political left. If he says, no, you should not pay the tax, he's going to bring down the wrath of Rome and the occupying armies on him. So you see how he's squeezed in between the political left and the political right. This is like a superhero movie. It's like Batman, Spider-Man, or my favorite superhero, Jason Bourne, okay? You know the person is in a really tight spot. It looks impossible. How are they going to get out of this one? You know they're going to get out of it somehow, but you can't see how they're going to possibly get out of it. So that's where Jesus is at this point. So he asks them. Well, one thing he does not do, he doesn't read the opinion poll. Literally, it says, it says that, um, well, they say, you don't care about anyone's opinion and you are not swayed by appearances. Literally, that's translated, you don't read people's faces. You know, you don't read people's faces to go, hmm, maybe I should go that way. Or you don't read the opinion polls and go, hmm, seems more politically expedient to go this way. They know that about Jesus. They're actually just buttering him up. But they're saying something about Jesus that is true. Jesus doesn't read people's faces. He doesn't read opinion polls. He's going to do what is right in God's eyes. 
So, Jesus says, well, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? That's one of the things I love about Jesus. He's really loving, but he's not always nice. So he calls them, he calls them out on it. He says, you're, you're a hypocrite, and I know exactly what you're trying to do to me. You're trying to put me in this quarter, so show me the coin for the tax. So they bring him a denarius. Now notice, because this is important, Jesus doesn't have a denarius. They do. They're carrying this filthy, compromised currency that they're trading in. So a denarius was a coin that was worth one day's wage. So whatever that is in your world, think of one day's wage and put it on a coin, and that's what they hand him. And on the back of that, on the front of that coin was the face of Caesar, the ruler, representing the government. On the back of it was his mom. And it says, Tiberius Caesar, worshipful son of divine Augustus. It's idolatrous. It's horrible. So they're disgusted by this. So they hand him the coin. And Jesus says, whose likeness and inscription is on this? Whose image is on this? And they say, Caesar's. And then Jesus says, in this wonderfully succinct summary of how Christians are supposed to live out the relationship with government, he says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, I was trying to, I was at my, mother's 85th birthday party last night, and my sister asked me at 8 p.m., so what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I, I explained it to her, and I said, well, this is sort of my big idea in one sentence, and she looked at me and kind of confused. She said, I don't know if that'll work. So, so I changed it around a little bit. So thanks to my sister Nancy. Um, so basically, Jesus says this, the state, the government, Caesar, makes a good servant, or it can be a good servant, but a lousy master. State is a good servant when it's working halfway decently, but a lousy Lord of your life. That's what Jesus is saying. Let me take those two parts. So first of all, the state can be a good servant. There is something that Caesar does. And we, as Christians, we owe Caesar something. When your waiter or your server comes and brings you your meal and serves you and you owe the restaurant something because they've provided a service and you also owe your server something because he or she has served you. And if they served you well, you, you should pay. You owe something. And that's part of what Jesus is saying is that the state can be in some ways a good servant. The Apostle Paul, there's other places in the New Testament that basically reinforce exactly what Jesus has said here. So in Romans 13, the Apostle Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And then he goes on to say, for the state, Caesar, is God's servant for your good. The state is your servant for your good. It's God's servant for your good. God has instituted it to serve us. Okay, now some of you might be thinking, that's so inefficient and it's so corrupt, and it's so, and there's politicians I can't stand. How can it be God's servant? Well, I'll get to that in a minute, but have you ever considered how well the state runs, basically? I mean, we are such fallen, flawed, broken 
sinful people who can't get along with each other, and then you throw all these people together with different political ideas and different agendas, and somehow we don't descend into utter chaos? That's a good thing. That's a major accomplishment, right? Well, Jesus is saying that Caesar has its role in God's way of running the world. And we benefit from that. So every time, like for instance, I drove here. I drove here on streets that were basically paved. I drove here with my license tabs securely in place. I was right behind a police officer last night. I didn't get a ticket. There were no military checkpoints on the way here, like there are in Joss, Nigeria. We're meeting in this school, which is public property. We don't have to worry about a suicide bomber ramming into this school. There is a lot of things that, so Caesar is so flawed, but it kind of works. And that is a miracle. My house got robbed when I first moved into Aurora, one week after I moved in. And I got to say, the police were pretty amazing. Now, it could be, part of it could be that I'm a middle-aged white guy, and so maybe I got a little better treatment. I don't know. But they treated it really well. And they were there, and they followed up. So Jesus is saying, there is something you owe Caesar. Caesar serves you. And out of respect for me, in certain ways, submit to Caesar. One of the early Christians said, if we avail ourselves of the lawful protection of Caesar's power, we cannot complain if required to render to him. So if we get benefits from Caesar, we should expect certain things back to Caesar. So that's the first thing Jesus said. The state can make a good servant, but it makes a lousy master and lord. That's the second thing he says. He says, render to God the things that are God's. The state is God's instrument, and yet the state, again, the government, can become utterly corrupt and even demonic. The state can become totalitarian, where it will demand of us things that compromise our faith or things that deeply wound people that we love and care about. And then at that point, the state doesn't become God's servant. The state becomes something that we have to be really wary of. So what Jesus is talking about, he's not saying, well, Caesar's got this realm and God's got this realm. Don't think of like a pizza pie where there's a big pie and a slice of that pie is the state. What Jesus is saying is, God owns the whole thing. We owe God the whole thing. We owe a slice of that to the state out of respect for God because God owns the whole pizza. The whole thing is God's. So render to God what is God's. So at times, every Christian is, I appreciate the state. I appreciate government. I'm thankful. I'm respectful. I submit to it, but I'm also kind of a little leery of what the state might ask from me or what the state might do to other people. 
because I'm a realist. I've been reading a book. It's, it's actually a really depressing book called Bloodlands. And it's kind of a two history side by side of Nazi Germany and communist Russia at the same time. And the author is a historian, I think from Yale, named Timothy Snyder. And he estimates that 20 million people were killed in these bloodlands during the 1930s and up to 1945. 20 million people. And you may wonder, well, did the Nazis and the communists do all that killing? No, they didn't. They had a lot of help. So every time they would go into a city, they'd go into a village, they would get collaborators from those cities. Normal people, people like us, who had a lot at stake. And they would threaten them, and they would bully them, and they would intimidate them. And they would get them to do a lot of the killing for them. So the whole system depended upon ordinary people either not speaking up, not resisting, not doing anything, or collaborating and actually actively doing the killing. You might think, that would never happen to me, right? I would never collaborate. I would never be silent. Well, Timothy Snyder, in the last year, he wrote another book, really simple thin book called On Tyranny. And his premise is simply this. He says, as a historian, I know how quickly governments can turn totalitarian and demand of us things that we've never thought we would do. Now, I'm not making any implications about our government. I'm just saying this can happen. What Timothy Snyder is saying, this can happen here. This can happen here. And so his advice is, be prepared to know how you're going to deal with it if the state asks you to do something that compromises your faith. So the state is your servant, but a lousy master. The state is your servant, but a lousy savior. So Christians are sort of this strange combination of people, right? On the one hand, we're really grateful conservatives because we believe that there are things that are worth conserving. Traditions, institutions, mores, ethics, ways of life that are worth, that are traditional, that are worth conserving, worth preserving. We believe that we see God's common grace in some of these traditional ways of life. And on the other hand, we are ardent, lack of a better word, revolutionaries. Not violent kind of revolutionaries, but we're people that have a vision for justice. We have a vision for what could be, what will be one day when Jesus comes back. And so that inflames us. And so like with the, the prophet Amos or Martin Luther King Jr., we say, let justice roll down like a mighty river. We are both and kind of people. And so we work and we vote, and we live in a way to preserve what is good, to be grateful for what is good, and yet to work for what will be and what can be. I say this because it seems like some Christians today are so progressive and tied into a progressive agenda that they forget that there are certain things worth conserving. 
And then there's some Christians that are so entrenched in a conservative agenda that they've stopped longing and working for what will be and what can be. And I just think, let Jesus shake up our politics and our political agendas. And I'm not going to get any more specific than that. <clears throat> because Jesus didn't. Now here's the amazing thing. Ultimately, this little story, ultimately, it's not about politics. It's about Jesus. There's a little hint of that in verse 22. At the end of this parable, the end of this little story, it, says, it just says this, and when they heard it, these two groups that were trying to trap him, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Here's, here's the plot to this story. It all hinged on, a, their agenda hinged on a simple premise, that if you poke Jesus, if you prod him, if you investigate, you're going to dig up dirt on him, and he's going to crumble. Like so many leaders and people in authority and people of power have crumbled before us. And haven't we just watched them crumble, or we hope they're going to crumble? So they give, him, they give it their best shot, these two groups coming together, and they can't find anything on him. And they're amazed, not just Jesus gave a brilliant answer, but they're amazed that he doesn't crumble. We can't find anything on him. He's not like the, all the leaders and the people in power that we have known. He's not like that. And I say this because so many people in our world, and I would imagine so many people in this room, have been hurt by people people with authority, and you have been deeply wounded. Jesus' authority is completely different. Jesus is saying, remember, I don't want just a slice of the pie. I own the whole pie. That's what this whole passage is about, is Jesus' authority, and it's establishing that authority. But look at Jesus. He's the one who, to whom ultimate authority is due. He is the one we worship. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. And yet, look at him here. Look at him in this passage. He doesn't even have a coin to his name. He can't even pull out a denarius because he doesn't have one, because he's poor, because in a way he's powerless. And look at his followers. They're all just a bunch of ordinary people. Men that were fishermen, women that have been saved from various things. It's, 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 and pretty soon he's going to be hanging on a cross on false charges, according to the Bible, for our sins, for our sakes. And with cracked lips, he's going to pray, Father, not curse them. Father, not bring down your wrath, but Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. This authority is real that Jesus has, but the point of this passage is, ultimately, this is authority that will not crush you. This is an authority that will set you free. And the center, so at the center of our being, we can say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I surrender to you. You know, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is due Caesar's. So, the state, the state of Illinois, the government, city of Aurora, 
I owe them taxes. I owe them a little portion of my income. But God, I owe everything to God. So who is your ultimate authority? Jesus says, come to me, and I will never cast you out. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.